Hello, and welcome to The Business Advantage. I am Alicia Pennington, your host and owner of Advantage Athletic Training. Today, we're going to be discussing marketing, which lends itself very well to branding. So if you haven't listened to our previous episode, number 13, on branding, I'd highly recommend you go back and listen to that one first, because a lot of what we are going to discuss here expounds upon what we laid the foundation for in that one. But if you don't have the time and you're just interested in listening to this one, go right ahead. There may just be some references that you have to look up or you don't quite understand, um, or you can go back and listen to the branding one after this. I feel like branding was sort of our first step and introduction into this idea of marketing, um, but by no means was it, you know, the entire beast. So, you know, while a brand should be developed in conjunction with marketing efforts, the marketing in general is separate and different than the brand. Um, You know, I felt like I would kind of all be doing you a disservice if I left you with branding, but then didn't give you some examples of how you can kind of take that a step further or what you could actually do with your brand once you've developed it, which really is the marketing piece of all of this. Just as developing your personal and professional brand in athletic training speaks about our profession, so does marketing. And so if branding was your personal settings, attire, communications, or the decisions that you make, then marketing is essentially an extension of that. So for example, your athletic training facility or the space that you work out of, um, the kit that you carry, or the techniques that you utilize, those are more marketing type examples. And, and we'll have tons of them throughout the podcast Um, you know, that essentially extend upon your personal brand. And, you know, really marketing kind of helps build a little bit fuller picture of your brand. Um, The brand is, is never changing, it's underlying, and it is the consistent nature of who you are and how you practice. And the marketing is the techniques that you utilize and, and how you actually apply athletic training in your everyday practice. Just as with branding, you may not feel like marketing applies to you in an athletic training setting, but I hope that I I debunked that in our last episode uh, with branding. And, you know, if when you were listening to that episode, you you felt like something was really speaking to you and you could identify with what we were discussing and how it impacts not only yourself, but who you interact with and our profession on a larger scale, then this podcast will essentially teach you about how to apply that in a more everyday and individual way um, and and kind of more of the the products and the services that your your customers or your consumers interact with. And what is always important to me is that you are able to grasp and understand how these business topics apply in your setting and what you do every single day. So 
In this episode specifically, I think that we've done a great job of giving an abundance of examples that you can extract and apply in your own practice. And so, you know, maybe these topics seem sort of ethereal and and you're not really sure how they apply to you. Um, But as we're going through this, I think that you really start to see the applicability and and how it um, benefits all of us. Advantage has teamed up with SoCal Youth Rugby to provide athletic trainers at all matches from Orange County to San Luis Obispo. If you are in Orange County, Los Angeles County, San Bernardino, Santa Barbara, or San Luis Obispo areas, and looking for contract work on the weekends, visit our website, theadvantage.com, for more info and to apply. Let's start off by defining the topic, as we usually do. So marketing is most widely defined as the communications between a company and its customers. And more specifically, the American Marketing Association defines it as the activity, set of institutions, and processes for creating, communicating, delivering, and exchanging offerings that have value for customers, clients, partners, or society at large. I know that's a mouthful and you're probably thinking, Alicia, I have no idea what you just said or how it applies to anything that I do in my everyday life. So let's break down the components of it. In marketing, there is something commonly known and referred to as the four P's and they are product, price, place, and promotional strategy. Starting with product, this is the good or service that will meet the consumer's demand or need. So in athletic training, our product is sports medicine services. And more specifically, it is the prevention, evaluation, and rehabilitation of orthopedic injuries. Now, price. Price is how much it will require to obtain that good or service. And this is oftentimes determined based on the value of that good or service, what that is deemed to be. As soon as I said value there, your ears should have started ringing a little bit to what we discussed in the branding podcast with how developing a strong and recognizable brand brings value to who we are and what we do. Well, that is going to lend itself directly to the price that we can charge for our services. Now, It's important that the price is not too high or too low in relation to the perceived value. It's it's important to understand that the end user perceives the value. And, you know, of course, that's why the branding aspect is so important. And that will essentially determine how much they are willing to pay for it. So again, going back to what we talked about last week with 
branding, if you can develop the awareness and the recognition around what it is that you do, when you get to this marketing piece, it's going to be so much easier to develop an appropriate pricing strategy for what you can charge for your services because you know that people already understand the value and and the end user, the parent, the coach, the administrator, whoever it is, they're going to be willing to exchange monetary funds for the service that you're providing and the value that they feel that they are getting from that exchange. Of course, value isn't uh, the sole determiner of um, what somebody is willing to pay for uh, for a service or a good. Um, some other aspects that play into um, you know how you can price something and wh- what people are willing to pay for it are like demand or the competition that you're facing. So if we go back to the example of Apple that we use during branding, they have demonstrated the ability to get people to pay a little bit more for their product based on the perceived and probably realistic value of what they get. So despite there being all kinds of Samsung and Motorola and and other brands of cell phones out there, Apple is still able to get people to buy iPhones and to buy them at an increased cost of what they could get other smartphones for because either their technology is is, um, far and beyond or people perceive what the value is of paying for that or like we talked about in branding, they've done such an excellent job of associating themselves with the feeling that you get by using their products and the image that is portrayed by those who do use their products that you want to be a part of that. So there's more to it than just the pricing aspect, but I mean, branding is, is so much a part of how you get into the marketing aspects of your specific product or service. Price, or probably better stated compensation, is always a heated discussion in athletic training. And there's a reason why what we get paid varies across different parts of the country and even different settings that athletic trainers work in. The reason for this is perceived value. So in areas on the East Coast, for example, or in Texas, where, like we talked about in branding, there is readily identified brand recognition, but also awareness, there are going to be higher perceived values in those areas simply because they know who an athletic trainer is, what they do, and they're not confused with a different brand that may have less value. Whereas in California, where we struggle to have licensure and and even to be differentiated from a personal trainer, there's going to be a much lower perceived value of course, without the education aspect that you know each individual athletic trainer can do. So therefore, people are going to be less willing to pay the premium for having a sports medicine specialist at their events than necessarily someone that would be in a different part of the country. 
So then that brings us to our third P, which is place. And this is how and where the product or service will be delivered. Essentially, the environment in which the uh, the service is supplied to, um, and, and it makes a difference in how the consumer perceives and values it. So I want you to think about this place in terms of settings and in the settings that different athletic trainers work in. So looking at a clinic or industrial position, and we're going to compare that to like a secondary school athletic trainer. So there's a reason why athletic trainers working in the clinic or industrial settings could be compensated higher for their services than a secondary school athletic trainer simply because of the setting that they're working in. So if we look at the clinic, for example, or a doctor's office, we all, when we go to doctor's offices, expect to pay more for a service there than when we go to a football game, for example. There's a reason why if we pay a 20 to $30 copay, I don't know, whatever it is with your insurance, we don't necessarily balk because you know we're seeing the doctor and we expect to have to pay that much money to see the doctor. Whereas we would never pay that amount of money to get into a high school sporting event. And so, you know, it it may feel like it's comparing apples to oranges and it is in a sense, but the truth is, is that it makes a difference where the product is placed and the environment that the consumer interacts with it in. So, you know, at the secondary school, especially if you're at like a public institution, for example, a parent doesn't expect to have to come out of pocket for something that they assume should already be provided by that public entity. Whereas when you go to the physician's office, though your, you know, health insurance covers that visit, we are more prepared to come out of pocket to pay for those services because we have a higher perceived value of what it is that we are receiving as a result of that. And so athletic trainers who work in a physician's office, not only can the physician charge more because they're in a setting and a place that warrants it, but also the athletic trainer gets compensated more because the perceived value from the physician and from the patient is that that athletic trainer is providing a service beyond what, for example, a secondary school athletic trainer may be providing. Now, you and I know that isn't the truth. You know, to an extent, an athletic trainer is an athletic trainer is an athletic trainer. And regardless of the setting that we're working in, we are applying the same skills. We have the same level of education. We, you know, obviously this is an overgeneralization. There's definitely the opportunity that athletic trainers could have gone back and gotten special certifications to work in a doctor's office and all that kind of stuff. But this is why I think the NATA is trying to get us to move towards using terms like facility and patience as opposed to, you know, athletic training room um, or just athletes because there is a perceived value 
to what a medical practitioner does, the space that they work in, and the services that they deliver. And so we have to do a better job of trying to transition away from the old terminology that we were accustomed to using if we want to increase the value of our brand as athletic trainers. The placement of this will matter tremendously less if no matter where an athlete or a patient gets seen, it always feels like a medical facility. If every time they walk into the athletic training facility at the university or at the high school and it feels sterile, it feels like they're being treated in a medical facility, then there's going to be a higher perceived value of that. And if we are referring to them as patients and identifying them with medical terminology and we're really, you know, kind of honing in on that specialty that we have as sports medicine practitioners, then everybody around us environmentally and the end user is going to be willing to pay a little bit more money because they understand that medical facilities and medical practitioners just cost a little bit more money than some room inside of the local high school. And finally, we arrive at our last P, which is promotional strategy. Um, And this is the advertising or sales and promotion of the good or product. Um, But really, you can consider this as sort of like the communication aspect of marketing, especially when you think about it specifically in relation to advertising. So this is an area that I think high school athletic trainers or per diem or part-time types of uh, athletic trainers actually have an upper hand to the clinical or industrial setting because the promotion of an athletic trainer on the sidelines at a sporting event is more valuable than promoting an athletic trainer who works in a doctor's office or a PT clinic. And mostly because in the sideline scenario, we are typically the sole medical provider or if we're not the sole medical provider, you know, perhaps there's an EMT or, or someone else there. Um, we are the the highest ranked or most highly educated medical provider there. Whereas when you look at the doctor's office or PT clinic example, there are several medical providers, and so there. In, in the first example, we tremendously increase the value of ourselves because we have nobody to compete with. Whereas in the, the clinical setting, if you've got physicians and physical therapists and, and other people that have equal or greater amounts of education and certification, then it sort of devalues what we have because we're just even, we're not above in, in terms of education and value. So when you look at the promotional strategy of, of being able to market your brand of athletic training, I think that 
those high school athletic trainers or the per diem people will have an easier job of identifying where the value is in what they're doing and and how they can very readily um, you know increase the safety and and you know thereby the value of what they're doing as opposed to the people who work in the clinic, it's going to be more difficult to define that without really objective, objectable numbers. Of course, we know that having an athletic trainer in any position or any setting is is going to increase the value. It's going to make a difference in patient outcomes and uh, the, the perceived safety and, and well-being uh, of that community or of that organization and environment. And so I don't want to, uh, I don't want you to think that, you know, athletic trainers working in a clinic are somehow less valuable um, than, than athletic trainers working at the high school or vice versa. All of this is just examples of when you look at different promotional strategies and marketing efforts, how they are going to be perceived by the end user. And that's what I want to challenge you to look at it from, not what is this athletic trainer doing and and pinning yourself against them, but more looking at who is my patient population and what is their interaction with me and how are they perceiving me and what is the value associated to that perception. There've been plenty of, of documented incidents and articles and, and publications of how an athletic trainer brings a financial value to both a doctor's office and PT clinic, um, and also the difference that an athletic trainer makes in the secondary school and in the industrial setting. So we're not sitting here and arguing that one is more valuable than the other or any of that. We know that athletic trainers are valuable in any setting that they're in. I just want you to understand that it's going to be a different perceived value based on where you're at in the patient population that you're serving. All right. So we've identified the four P's of athletic training, but now how are we actually going to market them? Well, I want to give you some examples of specific athletic training opportunities that apply directly back to each of these four P's that we've discussed. And hopefully, if I don't talk about your setting or your position specifically, you'll be able to extract the example that I'm giving and apply it to yourself in in what you do every day. Your marketing efforts should always relate back to your brand. So whatever you determined from our previous podcast was your unique personal or professional brand, that should be feeding into everything that we talk about today. And like I said in the beginning, it should just be an extension of what your brand is, not a contraindication or going against what the brand has already established and developed for you. Let's look at some examples. So the secondary school athletic trainer, maybe a uh, marketing effort that they could put on would be like baseline concussion testing or PPEs and cardiac screening. This is a service that they could offer to the community that reflects 
their personal athletic training brand and markets towards the audience that they're looking to attract and build an increased perceived value from. Or if we look at the athletic training who were the athletic trainer who works in the industrial setting, perhaps um, ergonomics and improving workspace functionality is what they are able to market. And again, this is a unique skill set to your type and your brand of athletic training that is marketable to your employer and to the end user, you know, those workers that increases your perceived value of what you have to add to that workspace. Also, if we look at performing arts or the entertainment industry, and we go back to what our uh, guest on the last case study, Kelly Hudson, was talking about with workers' comp proficiency, you know, an athletic trainer who has the ability to read and understand that workers' comp aspect is going to not only introduce themselves into an industry that may not have had athletic trainers before, but they're going to cement themselves into there. And so being able to market that you have that proficiency will be unique to your brand of athletic training and is a skill set that will increase your monetary value and perceived value. You know, the reason why when we go to conferences, there is such a myriad of different topics is because we all have our own brand of athletic training. And each of those topics is trying to market towards us and the brand that we have. So those athletic trainers who are in education may not have a need to go to a casting seminar and and understanding how to splint and to cast. They may be more inclined to attend an uh, experiential learning and understanding the adult learner in education topic. Whereas someone who works in the secondary school setting, who works with children or, you know, young adults who are 18 and below, or maybe is a professional uh, setting athletic trainer, probably doesn't have a whole lot of inclination to attend that experiential learning and adult learners uh, uh, talk, but they may have a great amount of interest in a casting seminar. And so... So just yet another example of of why you should understand what your personal brand is and also to, to see that you already have a personal brand of athletic training. Every time you go to conferences and you pick one seminar over the other, it's because it speaks to your brand of athletic training. And so when you're looking at these, start to understand that the marketing efforts that are going on on their end for you, who is the end user, there are targeted audiences in mind with all of this, the same way that you have a target audience in mind when you're the secondary school athletic trainer who's doing concussion baseline testing. You're not marketing parents. You're not marketing elderly. You're marketing the specific athletes at your school who either are prone to concussion in action sports or just your entire population of athletes. 
So that is an example of when you're the end user and put yourself on the other side of the table and think, how do I perceive the value of that talk? You look at things like the speaker and what their credentials are, or you look at the name of the talk and and you have a judgment about how good or bad or how applicable it may be to you. All of those are different components of the marketing aspect of athletic training. Athletic trainers work in, in various settings, but who we are at the core remains the same. And whether you're casting and splinting or you're teaching adult learners, the end goal is the same, which is the care for the patient. And so, you know, the university educator may be a few steps further away from the actual clinical care, but what they are doing serves the same greater good as all the athletic trainers who have their hands on athletes every single day. And so maybe our brand looks a little bit different and maybe the way that we market or who we market to differs from person to person. But we should understand that we're all working towards the same end goal here, which is perceived value. I know that I've interweaved branding throughout this entire podcast so far, but I want to go back and specifically identify, you know, why it's important to understand your brand and prior to your marketing and also to identify what is the difference between marketing and branding just to make sure that it is is very clearly delineated for you. So, you know, branding is the consistent message that the consumer knows and sees all the time. So despite the setting that you work in or the conference that you attend or whatever event you may put on, you are an athletic trainer. And that remains consistent across all marketing aspects that you may encounter. And so branding should precede any marketing efforts. And, you know, really before you can identify a marketing strategy for yourself, you have to know what your personal and professional brand is. And so if you, again, intend to be like a university educator in athletic training, it doesn't necessarily make sense to expend energy creating a marketing plan for yourself or spending time marketing yourself towards redecorating the local high school's athletic training room. You know, whereas we can leave that for someone who identifies themselves as a secondary school athletic trainer, and instead you could focus your energies on what would be needed to establish yourself as a university educator. Both of you would be better off for that, but that's just an example of understanding who you are, where you want to go, what you want to be in athletic training, and then to focus your efforts into those areas so that you're not only benefiting yourself, but you're benefiting the greater good of the profession. And so kind of with that, your marketing techniques should 
complement and build upon whatever your brand identity is. So if you have been a division one university athletic trainer for your entire career, it probably doesn't make much sense for you to champion uh, an industrial ergonomic testing type of thing. Whereas being a part of the discussion for autonomous decision-making at the NCAA level is something that makes a lot more sense for you to kind of get behind and put your energy towards. And so, again, going back to this idea that we all practice athletic training a little bit differently, but everything we do, it increases our perceived value. And so what really then is the difference between marketing and branding? I I maybe have totally confused you by intertwining the two for this entire discussion, but brand is the big picture and marketing is sort of the zoomed in version of it. So someone may have a generally good understanding of athletic training and support having an athletic trainer at the high school, but maybe they don't necessarily feel the need to have an athletic trainer at their church's sporting event. Well, the brand in their eyes has an overall good impression and they know the value that we provide and they understand who an athletic trainer is. It's just the specific marketing of an athletic trainer at a church function just isn't what they need. And so regardless of whether they brought the end user buys or purchases or invests in every single product that the athletic trainer puts out there, the branding should still have a loyal customer. And so whether they decide if the athletic trainer is needed for their church church function or not, they should not have a, a wavering view of who athletic trainers are and their purchasing of that particular service at that placement should not sway how they feel about who an athletic trainer is and the value that they provide. Again, going back to the example of Apple, maybe you don't have the computer and the iPad and the iPhone and the iPod, maybe you just have one of the products, but just because you haven't purchased every single one of their products doesn't mean that you have a wavering idea about who Apple is, the products that they put out, the brand of who they are. So again, that is the brand, whereas the marketing is more of the zoomed in individual aspects or individual products of what the brand is providing. To give you one more example, we talked about NATA on the previous podcast in the branding efforts that they've put forth. And so to give you an idea of like what some of their marketing efforts look like, one of them would be like their annual symposium and expo. That is a specific event that occurs in a specific place that is promoted and marketed towards well, every athletic trainer, but still athletic trainers are a specific demographic. And that is one singular marketing effort that is that takes place on the grander NATA brand. 
Another one is their Safe School Sport Award. Again, a much smaller population of athletic trainers taking place in a specific setting, secondary schools. There is a price that is associated with that. And the product is that you end up with this banner or award recognition of the um, you know NATA Safe School Sport Award. National Athletic Training Month. Again, we talked about that in one of our other previous podcasts. This is a huge marketing effort on behalf of NATA. And, uh, you know, to an extent, maybe not the most authentic one, but go back and listen to the other podcast if you want to hear more about that. But again, this is an opportunity for them as the NATA brand to get themselves out there. They use, you know, their own posters and uh, their own... um, uh, logos and everything that they that they come up with all of that is the NATA brand putting forth a marketing effort towards athletic trainers. Um, Another one, the NATA News. They encourage people to be active and participate in the news and ongoings of athletic training. And again, this is marketed towards specific demographics and in a specific way, which is a magazine. And, you know, there's no price to this. It it comes with your NATA subscription. So um, again, those are just a couple of really readily identifiable marketing strategies and efforts and campaigns that go along with the greater brand of who NATA is. And again, going back to what we just talked about, whether you interact with NATA on all of those levels or just one of them or none of them, you still know the NATA brand and you still have your assumptions or judgment about who NATA is and what they provide as a brand individually and separately of each of those different marketing strategies that they have. I recently had the pleasure of meeting some other ATs who are podcasting. So if you're looking to expand your podcast listening, here's a couple I can recommend. Sports Medicine Broadcast focuses on everything sports medicine related. It can be found on iTunes or sportsmedicinebroadcast.com. AT Podcast interviews athletic trainers from all over the country. It can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. And SportsMed Res looks at all the research coming out and gives us takeaways. It can be found at sportsmedres.org. I hope that by listening to this, I've made it clear that marketing is not selling, it's not advertising, it's not, you know, kind of the, the tricks and techniques that, that the people get for you to trade cash for their product or services. You know, this isn't car salesmen. We're not selling snake oil here. Um, you know, the marketing is really the focus on the value of what it is that you're providing. And that encourages the consumers to pay or exchange monetary value for the product that they are receiving as a result of you fulfilling that need of, you know, a sports medicine specialist for them. So now that you have taken some time to determine what your brand of athletic training is, what can you do to market yourself and the position that you're in or the setting that that you practice in that helps to build brand recognition and engage your end user? 
what are some of the things that your personal brand offers that sets you apart and differentiates you from other brands of athletic training? I would encourage you to identify two to three aspects of your personal and professional brand that you could market sometime in the next couple of months or in in the next year. And so focusing on what is that product or service, what will be the placement of it, how will you promote it? And what will be the price for obtaining it? If you could focus on putting to market two ideas per year, you would be benefiting not only your personal brand, but also the overall brand of athletic training. And I'll give you one right now. Participating in National Athletic Training Month is already an opportunity for you to market yourself and what you do in your individual setting once per year. So if you can identify one more opportunity for yourself, maybe it's putting on PPEs, maybe it's doing baseline concussion testing, maybe it's uh, volunteering at a 5K, whatever it is that it looks like for you Identify what that is and commit yourself to marketing that aspect of your brand for that purpose. Thank you for listening. If you learned something on this podcast, please share it with a colleague. We could all benefit from better understanding marketing and how it applies to athletic training. On our next podcast, we will have another case study with Robert Kirkland. He is an athletic trainer with Tempest, which is free running and parkour. If you have no idea what that is, even more reason to tune in. It involves grease. You won't want to miss it. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat at The Advantage. If you have questions regarding what we have spoken about here, use the hashtag Q&AT or show us how you're marketing your brand with hashtag that's business. Thank you to Mr. Logistics for the music you've heard throughout the podcast.